Okay, we are in Daniel, Perik Yudalov, Pasuk Tezayin Vayas Haba Elov Pirsono. So let's back up a little. We are in the middle of a long chazon, a vision that is given to Daniel. What is most interesting about it is that even though it's given when the Babylonian Empire has, um, has been defeated, is no longer uh, evolved, the Navi is being told that you haven't seen anything yet, really. You are going to see oppressions by a Greek empire and then a Roman empire and then a long exile. And it is given in exquisitely detailed fashion, each part of the Chazon. And it is so historically significant that what is fascinating is that even though Rashi doesn't attempt to give a historical context to what the vision says, Abarbanel, who is a historian, and the Malbin fill in the details. And what is just the most shocking part of it is how accurate it is hundreds of years before these events have happened. Um, so we begin with Tezayin, Vayas Habay, Love Kirtsono. We've seen up till now, the Chazon starts when Alexander of Macedonia dies suddenly, age 32, with a vast empire, which literally is the, the, the known world. And so vast is it that it has to be divided among four of his generals. Of the generals, two really build their own empires. One is Seleucus, which is also Antiochus. He is, uh, that is his dynasty as well. He is called the king of the north. There is Talmai of Egypt. He is the king of the south. And what we have seen is a series of just back and forth pendulum swinging battles for decades between Talmai in the south Antiochus and Seleucus in the north. One gets the ascendancy, loses it. The other gets the ascendancy. So now we saw in the closing minutes of the Shear, the king of the north, Antiochus. This is not the Antiochus yet that we know, the Antiochus IV. Uh, this is Antiochus II. And he gains a preemptive victory over the king of the south, Talmai. And that's where we pick it up on Pasuk Tesayin, Vayas Haba'e Love Kirtsono. He does what he wants with the South. He just scores such a decisive victory. There ain't no made Lefano. No one can stand before him. Vayamod Be'eretz Hatsvi, Vechola Biyado. He stands in the land of the Tzvi, literally the coveted, desired land. We know that is synonymous with Eretz Yisrael. In other words, Antiochus, coming from the north, goes through the Tzvi. I should point out that this is the midpoint almost with each conquest. In other words, when Talmai comes from the south, he has to go through Israel. When Antiochus comes from the north to the south, he has to go through Israel. So it's not very comfortable for Israel. But here, Antiochus gains possession of it, the cholobiyodo, meaning he has it in his hands to completely annihilate it. But he chooses not to. 
He chooses not to because at that time, Antiochus is interested in creating a Hellenic empire. He doesn't want to destroy. He wants the Hellenization of the known world. But that's how decisive that battle is. Now he wants to um, gain all the results, Antiochus, to um, coalesce his victory. He now devastates the entire south of Talmai, the Yesharimi Mo Va'asa, and there are Yesharim that are with him uh, that help him. Very strange puzzle. So, there are women in his conquest, but do not give him the opportunity to make a total conquest. And his triumph is not going to last. What are we talking about? To Chatim. One say the women is a metaphor for Eretz Yisrael. He wants to conquer Eretz Yisrael, but the Hashmonaim are a force that will not let him do it. The other says that he has given in a, um, an attempt to forge a unity between he and Egypt, has given his own sister to the king of Egypt. His own sister we know as Cleopatra. Cleopatra. Cleopatra's purpose is to plant a fifth column in Egypt, but she doesn't allow it. Losamo de Lolosia. So either way, if it's a metaphor, as Rashi says with the Hashmonaim, or it's a metaphor for Cleopatra not allowing him to gain a fifth column, he is thwarted there. Uh, and now he turns his attention to the islands, the Mediterranean islands that surround Greece. Uh, he conquers many. But now he has violated the treaties between Rome and Egypt. In other words, Rome was too occupied at first to deal with his incursion into Egypt. But now that he's going after the surrounding islands, they come to Egypt's aid. And they thwart him from doing it. Uh, They block him. And now what happens is they impose upon him a tremendous penalty he, Antiochus, from the north, is going to have to give, first of all, he has to give back enormous possessions. He has to give back to Rome all the lands he seized in Europe, and he has to give back a tremendous financial penalty. So great, by of Lamuse Arza, he now in defeat turns and goes back to his land, Syria, and the Mephoshim say what he does in his desperate search for money, he violates or loots a temple of a local deity, and he is assassinated. Uh, they never find it. 
So now, Seleucus, his son, takes over the uh, Malchus, and he is so burdened with collecting money. All he does is collect taxes. Mavir Nogesh is almost a, a sarcastic um, saying that it passes through the tax collector. In other words, he is so burdened, he has nothing but to collect money. It's a desperate demand to collect money. And in the end, he is assassinated, as we're going to see from within, without war, without anger. It's just he's a failed leader because of his desperate need for cash that he has to raise for the Romans. Now, Antiochus now finds that he can go back, he wishes to go back to Egypt to conquer it again. Uh, and this time, they don't give him the Malchus. He's a usurper. He is a usurper because... Cleopatra has two sons from Talmai. He patronizes or favors one of them. He insinuates himself, the Hexic Malchus Bechalkolos, and he kinds of installs Talmai as his puppet. Alexandria, we learn, does not accept it. His designation of who the king is, they split off and they designate his brother, the other king. Meanwhile, all this is provocating Rome, etc., that now can turn its attention. But in the meantime, Antiochus takes over Bemirma with treachery. There are a few fifth columnists in Egypt that help him gain the throne through his seemingly protective interests for his nephew, Talmai. Continues the Navi. Now, fortified, Antiochus comes back to Egypt and he does what even his ancestors in their battles with Egypt could not do. He takes great booty and treasure, and he is about to seize the fortification, the Mibsarim, that divide Egypt from the rest of, of um, Asia, as it were. And he's about to take it by Yar Koko Ruvalo. He is stopped for some reason, uh, probably Rome. In other words, Rome is beginning to get very impatient with Antiochus, and they send his, their own legion that confronts Antiochus and kills something like 70,000 men. Then, then, uh, now he's gone, he goes back, he stops short, says the Abarbanel, at those fortifications. We don't know what stopped him. Most likely, it's the threat of Rome. 
So in any case, he goes back, and Vayar Kocho once again, he rallies the army to attack Melech HaNegev, the king of the south, Bechayel Gadol. This time, Melech HaNegev, Talmai, is ready for him. He too gathers his own army, very strong. And yet it doesn't work, the king of the south, because he has installed basically what he wanted, a fifth column into Egypt that helps him, uh, by treachery, seize the rest of Egypt. Meanwhile, um, for some reason, Talmai, of course, now at this point is undone. He's broken. A lot of men die in that war. He will be swept away. And many men. Now, You've got the two Talmais there. One is the regent of Egypt. One is the regent of um, Alexandria, who was split off. So he tries to um, bring them together, making his nephews... Uh, in, a, in one kingdom, but it doesn't work. Below Sislach, he owed Ketzlamoe, very interesting. His time has come. In other words, Antiochus's reign is almost over. Frustrated at not being able to forge a unity in Egypt, by Yoshev he goes back to his land, Berchus Gadol, he has devastated the place, Ulevavo Abris Kodesh, but his mind is fixed on Bris Kodesh. That's the land of the covenant. Something in Eretz Yisrael is bothering him. Some say, Rashi, it's the Hashmonaim. They have made a temporary truce with Rome, which is going to be violated. And two, some say it's not propitious yet. It's not the time. There's some civil unrest among his appointees, his civil servants, even the Kohanim he is designated are fighting. So he doesn't stop there. He goes back to Syria. Chavtes Lamoed, two years later, now emboldened, Yashuv Uba Banegev, he goes back to Egypt again for the dozenth time to conquer it, but it wasn't like his ancestors and successes he had previously recorded. Now the Romans come in force. Kitim is an expression for the Romans. They come in the He has to leave in a hurry. He goes back through the Bris Kodesh, through Eretz Yisrael. But also now, he just goes through. Nothing happens at this point. The Osa Vishov, now he comes back to Yuvayovin Alozvei Briskodesh. Now he is going to take care of the rebellious elements of the Briskodesh, meaning Yerushalayim. And now we will begin the destruction uh, or the violation of the temple, the conquest by Antiochus, but we will begin it in Yerzeh Hashem 
8.45 a.m. tomorrow. Be there. You will not want to miss it. Odd time.